Chapter One of Monte Cristo's Daughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monte Cristo's Daughter by Edmund Flagg. Chapter One Monte Cristo and the Prima Donna. The Count of Monte Cristo was in Rome he had hired one of the numerous private palaces the palazzo costi situated on a broad thoroughfare near the point where the ponte sant'angelo connects rome proper with that transtiberine suburb known as the leonine city or trastaviri the impecunious roman nobility were ever ready to let their palaces to titled foreigners of wealth and ali acting for the count had experienced no difficulty in procuring for his master an abode that even a potentate might have envied him it was a lofty commodious edifice built of white marble in antique architectural design and commanded from its ample balconies a fine view of the tiber and its western shore upon which loomed up that vast prison and citadel the castle of st angelo and the largest palace in the world the vatican the count of monte cristo had always liked rome because of its picturesque mysterious antiquity but his present mission there had nothing whatever to do with his individual tastes he had fixed himself for a time in the eternal city that his daughter zuleika Heyday's child might finish her education at a famous convent school conducted under the auspices of the sisterhood of the sacred heart zuleika was fifteen years of age but looked much older having the early maturity of the greeks whose ardent blood on her dead mother's side flowed in her youthful veins she had attained her full height and was tall and well developed she strongly resembled her mother possessing brilliant beauty of the dreamy voluptuous oriental type her hair was abundant and black as night she had dark flashing eyes pearly teeth full ruby lips and feet and hands that were of fairy-like diminutiveness as well as miracles of grace and dainty shapeliness in temperament she was more like heyday than the count though she possessed her father's quick decision and firmness with the addition of much of his enthusiasm the palazzo costi was magnificently furnished so the count had made no alterations in that respect bringing with him only the family wardrobe and a portion of his library consisting mainly of oriental manuscripts written in weird cabalistic characters and intelligible to no one but himself the household was made up solely of the count his son esperance his daughter zuleika the faithful nubian mute ali and five or six male and female domestics having no other object than his daughter's education the count wished to live in as thorough retirement as he could but it was impossible for him to keep his presence a secret and no sooner had it become known that he was in rome than he was besieged by hosts of callers belonging to the highest nobility mingled with whom came numerous patriots disciples of the unfortunate savonarola 
distinguished for their firm devotion to the cause of italian liberty at an early hour of the morning upon which this narrative opens the count of monte cristo sat alone in a small apartment of the palazzo costi which had been arranged as his study and in which his precious manuscripts were stored in closely locked cabinets the count had a copy of a roman newspaper before him and his eyes were fixed on a paragraph that seemed to have fascinated him as the serpent fascinates the bird the paragraph read as follows mademoiselle louise d'armilly the famous prima donna who will sing to-night at the apollo theatre her great role of lucrezia borgia has it appears a deep impenetrable mystery surrounding her she is french by birth and is said to be the daughter of a banker who vanished under peculiar circumstances but as she positively declines to speak of her history we can only give the rumours concerning her for what they are worth monsieur leon d'armilly brother of the prima donna who supports her in donizetti's opera also refuses to be communicative at any rate the mere hint of the mystery has already caused quite a flutter of excitement in high society circles and that is sufficient to ensure a crowded house louise d'armilly murmured the count half audibly the name is familiar certainly though where i have seen or heard it before i cannot now recall the lady is french by birth the paper says and that fact at least is a sufficient pretext for me to visit her i will call on her as a fellow-countryman and the interview will demonstrate if she is known to me the count arose went to his desk and seating himself there wrote the following brief epistle edmond dantes count of monte cristo desires permission to call upon mademoiselle louise d'armilly at ten o'clock this morning in this desire m dantes is actuated solely by the wish to lay the homage of a frenchman at the feet of so distinguished an artiste of his own nation as mademoiselle d'armilly having finished sealed and addressed this note the count touched a bell which was immediately answered by the ever-watchful nubian ali said the count in the arabic tongue take this letter to the hotel de france and wait for a reply the faithful servant bowed almost to the floor took the missive and departed when he had gone the count walked the apartment with the long strides habitual to him at such times as he was engrossed by some all-powerful thought surely he muttered this artiste can in no way interest me personally and yet i feel a subtle premonition that it would be wise in me to see her he was still pacing the study when ali returned the nubian's usually impassable face bore traces of excitement and horror he prostrated himself at his master's feet and with his visage pressed against the floor held up his hand presenting to the count the identical letter of which he had been the bearer why how is this ali asked the count frowning my letter sent back without an answer the seal has been broken too it must have been read the mute slowly arose and began an eloquent pantomime which his master readily translated into words you went to the hotel de france and sent up the letter in ten minutes it was returned to you by the lady's valet who said all the answer the count of monte cristo deserved from his mistress was written on the back 
ali nodded his head in confirmation of his master's translation looking as if he expected to be severely reprimanded for being the bearer of such an indignity the count however merely smiled curiosity rather than anger predominated in him he turned the letter over and read scrawled in pencil in a woman's hand the following brief and enigmatical but insulting communication any frenchman save the ignominious monsieur dantes the so-called count of monte cristo would be welcome to mademoiselle d'armilly that person she does not wish to see and will not the count was perplexed and also amused the fervour of the prima donna made him smile he certainly did not know her certainly had never seen her why then was she so bitter against him he could make nothing out of it was it possible her name was really as familiar to him as it had seemed the irate artiste had surely heard of the count of monte cristo and therefore could not be mistaken in regard to his identity but in what way could he have injured her or incurred her anger the more he thought of the matter the more perplexed he grew as he was debating within himself what action he ought to take there was a knock at the door and a domestic entered handing him a card upon which was inscribed captain joliette ha cried monte cristo he comes in time he will aid me in solving this mystery he motioned ali from the study and directed the valet who had brought the card to show the visitor up at once in another instant captain joliette entered the room the count sprang forward to greet him welcome captain said he i have not seen you since our stirring adventures in algeria i hope you are well and happy by the way what are you doing in rome i was not aware you were here i am here simply by chance answered the young soldier with a blush that belied his words i was in italy on a little pleasure trip and naturally drifted to the eternal city i learned only this morning that you were installed at the palazzo costi and instantly hastened to pay my respects when their cordial greetings were over and they were seated side by side upon a commodious sofa luxuriously upholstered in crimson silk the count said abruptly captain did you ever hear of a french opera singer named louise d'armilly again the young man coloured deeply a circumstance that did not escape the close observation of his companion who instantly divined that the famous prima donna counted for more in the reasons that had brought the captain to rome than that gallant warrior was willing to admit yes stammered joliette i have heard of her and report says she is a remarkably charming lady as well as a great artiste your tone is enthusiastic my dear captain returned monte cristo smiling pleasantly perhaps you are acquainted with mademoiselle d'armilly well to confess count said joliette with a laugh i am acquainted with her and curiously enough part of my mission here to-day was to ask you to occupy a box at the performance of lucrezia borgia this evening will you accept with genuine delight was monte cristo's ready answer i desire to see this mysterious prima donna for more than one reason in the first place her name is dimly familiar to me though i cannot remember where i ever heard it and in the second place she flatly refused a visit from me no later than this morning joliette looked greatly surprised refused a visit from you count i would not believe it did 
i not hear it from your own lips mademoiselle d'armilly must be mad she surely cannot know what an honour it is to receive a visit from the count of monte cristo the count smiled in his peculiar way and handed the captain mademoiselle d'armilly's singular reply to his note the young man glanced at it in amazement reading it again and again finally he stammered out it is her handwriting but what can she mean that is exactly what i would like to know and i see by your manner and words that you are powerless to enlighten me still you can tell me who this mademoiselle d'armilly is and that will in all probability furnish me with the key to her rather shabby treatment of me my dear count i am acquainted with the young lady it is true but like yourself i am in total ignorance so far as her history is concerned she is french that is evident and she has gone so far as to admit to me that louise d'armilly is only her professional name but what her real name is she has more than once positively refused to disclose to me she is equally reticent as to the rumours afloat regarding her you are doubtless aware that she is reputed to be the daughter of a french banker who mysteriously disappeared this she neither denies nor affirms she merely maintains an obstinate silence whenever it is mentioned in her presence your recital interests me greatly captain said monte cristo you are more privileged than myself in that you enjoy the acquaintance of this eccentric young lady but she does not seem to repose a greater degree of confidence in you than in me for she has told you absolutely nothing well said joliette you will see her to-night at any rate despite her prohibition she cannot keep you out of the theatre for the box is purchased and here are the tickets but she will be angry with you captain said the count slyly for bringing such an undesirable auditor i had better go alone and occupy some obscure seat i do not wish you to forfeit mademoiselle d'armilly's smiles for me pshaw replied joliette there is plainly some mistake she does not know you will not recognize you she has certainly confounded you with some one else perhaps so said monte cristo but women's memories are good and i warn you that you are taking a grave risk none whatever i assure you it is more than likely that in answering your note as she did mademoiselle d'armilly was influenced solely by caprice if she should ask me after the performance who was my companion i have only to give you a fictitious name and she will be none the wiser that evening captain joliette and the count of monte cristo made their way through the dense throng in front of the apollo theatre and were finally shown into a lower proscenium box commanding a full view of the stage monte cristo instinctively sought refuge behind the curtains and drapery of the box where he could sit unobserved and yet be enabled to closely scrutinize the mysterious singer who appeared to have such an intense aversion for him although still early the house was already crowded in every part and throngs were unable to gain even admission the vast audience was made up chiefly of the best and most fashionable society in rome it included many of the highest nobility who occupied the boxes they held for the season everywhere the bright coloured elegant toilets of the ladies met the eye while the gentlemen were brilliant in fete attire fresh young faces and noble old visages were side by side 
the beauty of youth and the impressiveness of age and the male countenances were not less striking than those of the females truly it was a grand assemblage one that should delight the heart and flatter the vanity of even the most capricious of prima donnas at first there was a low hum of conversation throughout the theatre together with preliminary visits from box to box but the flutter began to subside as the musicians appeared and by the time they were in their places in the orchestra absolute silence reigned when the conductor made his appearance he was greeted with a burst of applause which he gracefully acknowledged with a profound bow then he grasped his baton tapped lightly upon the rack in front of him and the delightful overture to donizetti's great work commenced at its conclusion the curtain slowly rose and the opera began mademoiselle d'armilly came forth in due course and the house fairly rung with plaudits of welcome she sang divinely and acted with consummate art receiving loud encores for all her numbers monte cristo who was passionately fond of music caught the prevailing enthusiasm and gradually emerged from the shelter of the protecting curtains and drapery he had scanned mademoiselle d'armilly carefully through his opera-glass and was thoroughly convinced that she was a perfect stranger to him although now and then a tone a gesture or a movement of the body vaguely conveyed a sense of recognition of some tone gesture or movement he had heard or seen somewhere before the count however reflected that all women possessed certain points of resemblance in voice and bearing he therefore passed the present coincidences over as purely accidental thinking no more of them for a long while mademoiselle d'armilly did not glance at the box occupied by captain joliette and the count of monte cristo and it was not until the former threw her a costly wreath of flowers that she turned her eyes in that direction she was about bowing her acknowledgments when her gaze rested upon the stately form of the count instantly she paused in the centre of the stage turned deadly pale beneath the paint of her make-up and with a loud scream fell in a swoon the curtain was at once rung down and the director stating that the prima donna had been seized with sudden and alarming indisposition dismissed the audience captain joliette rushed to mademoiselle d'armilly's dressing-room and the count of monte cristo wended his way back to the palazzo costi utterly bewildered by what had taken place End of chapter one